Welcome. You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you could join us. We're here today with Dr. Kalechi Mezu Nambui, an OD and a public health doctor from Pikeville, Maryland. Welcome. Thank you so much. Glad you could join us here in the middle of this uh, COVID pandemic. Yes, it's been, I would say it's been pretty tough, but I think what I've done also, not just as a physician, it's trying to be there to educate my patients and the people still coming in for emergency eye care on how important it is to protect yourself and take those uh, precautionary measures because it's amazing. You see patients who are coming in and they think it's a joke. They don't really believe it. They're not wearing their mask. They're not sanitizing. But I have been following the news and I was able to get a lot of our PPE for my office and staff as early as February. Wow. Yeah, because when things started getting bad in Italy, in my head, I was like, oh, my God. It might come mm. to the U.S. and we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. Interesting. So you are open to some patient care. Yes, we are. We are open with reduced hours. So that was the first step. We had to cut down our hours once a state of emergency was declared in Maryland by a governor. And then we're open to seeing only emergency care patients like people with pink eye, people with red eyes, um, any flashing or floating spots in their eye. Mm-hmm. So we were only taking emergency calls until now that's pretty much all we are doing. And we'd also reduce staff and reduce staff hours. Right, right. And so that gives you time. It's, it sounds like you've you've kept some some staff on though. You haven't furloughed everyone. No, we didn't because the way I looked at it is it is hard to find good staff. And when you have them, you have to make that personal sacrifice to keep them on your payroll because after this is all over, you still need to be able to run your office. But one of the things we did was to figure out even if we're not seeing patients or they're kind of trickling in because you don't have an emergency every day, right. what can we have the staff members do? And so we had to have a meeting and we've tried to do take several steps. Like number one, I've had my staff calling all the patients who wear contacts we were lucky in being able to do a couple reorders for them and have it shipped straight to their home. And number two, we have them doing recalls. So they have in my office a huge box of envelopes with recall letters ready to be mailed okay. to patients. We made the decision not to mail anything out because everyone is skeptical about the mail. But whenever we do reopen, all that can be mailed out to the patients so that they're ready to come in for their yearly exams and appointments. Interesting. And when do you, I know it's hard to anticipate when, when this could be, right? but <laughs> when, when are you gearing up? How are you making your, your plans? So whenever Maryland says everybody can come back to work, then we would be open regularly to see our patients. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm anticipating maybe May sometime in May or middle of May. The governor declaring and saying the state of emergency is over does not mean the patients are going to be jumping into your office. Correct. Because you're still going to have those who are carriers and they're asymptomatic. 
Mm-hmm. And then you have your older patients because we have a huge older population in our office. Right. A lot of them, based on phone calls, are pretty much scared to come back in. And I think that's going to take a really long time for them to pick up that courage and come in for their routine checks. Excellent point. So how are you going to educate your patients on what you're doing and why it is you know, what you're doing to, to ensure their safety and uh, the, the processes in the, in the practice. Okay. Um, that's actually pretty easy. So we've made a lot of changes, which I think are actually going to be here going forward. We have a non-contact our thermometer, like a thermal one. Right. And we're checking our, the temperature of everyone coming into our office, including our staff, because if we keep our staff healthy, then we're mm-hmm. keeping our patients healthy. We're cutting down our patient flow. So probably when this is all over, we would maybe have extended hours, but we are going to be seeing no more than two patients an hour. Mm. And so that way that gives us time to spray the rooms, the pre-testing rooms and diagnostic rooms and make sure that we're sanitizing and cleaning after, before and after every patient. Um, for people who want glasses, we actually have trays, a lot of trays now. So any glasses you touch, has to be wiped down and sanitized and cleaned before it goes back on the shelf. And we are spacing out more. Like we're not, someone comes in for a red eye and they have family members, they have to wait in the car. If it's a minor, we will allow one parent to come in with them. And then our office is pretty big. It's about 4,200 square feet. So it's pretty large, but still we're not letting more than 10 people in that space at a time and even for my exam room it's a little secluded which is good but I'm only allowing one patient because I had a a little kid with a red eye last week Mm -hmm. and I had a mom stand by the door so she could still see her child but that way we don't have three people crowded in that exam room because I still have to go home to my family and I want to make sure that I'm keeping safe so I don't infect the people in my home. Right, right. And uh, because, of course, if you were to become sick, that would be another blow to your to your practice um, <laughs> process. I know, I know. We would be shut down for two weeks because then everyone would have to be on quarantine. So Right. Now, you, you work with your sister or she works with you. So talk to, talk to me about the, uh, the nonprofit. That's a family nonprofit, correct? Yes, it is. It has always been a dream of my parents, Dr. Rose and Dr. Sebastian Mizu. And so to give you a little bit of a background, I am originally from Nigeria, which is in West Africa. And it's a country with, um, it doesn't have as many resources as what we have here. And being an optometrist who graduated from our college in Nigeria before I came here and got my license and and further education here in the U.S. My parents always wanted us to give back. And when I say give back, means my entire family giving back. I, I'm the third out of 10 children. So I have nine other siblings. We are seven girls, all in the medical profession, except one sister who's an attorney. And my three brothers who are all in IT and development. And so the best way my parents found that we could give back to our community, but here and in Nigeria, was to establish a nonprofit. And we made that resolution to do a free health screening 
where we're able to see patients and give them free eyeglasses from our office once a year here. And sometimes we've done it twice a year. Right. And then over the summer, we go to Nigeria to run our annual medical mission where we see over 2,500 patients within a two to three day period. And that takes a lot of planning and a lot of support that we've received from local organizations here in the U.S., mm -hmm. such as Essilor and the VSB Eyes of Hope through mm -hmm. their mobile van, because they have come for pretty much every health screening that we have had here in Baltimore. Nice. But most importantly, I think the main thing is when you are able to help people and you help a child see, or when I go for mission trips in Nigeria and you have people who have walked for, I would say, two days and they're in line patiently. They come in at 9 o'clock and they don't get seen till 3 p.m. because there's just so many people. They get an eye exam. They get a health check from the medical doctors. They go to the pharmacy and get free medication. For some of these people, this is all they have. And right. so a lot of them look forward to the next time we come back, which is just once a year. Mm. This year is looking more likely that we might have to move it to December, mm. but we have not made any plans yet. We're still set for July ending, but right. if it's not safe to go, then it would be moved to December for our international trip. And you've also had to move the Baltimore outreach Yes, we have had to. So uh -huh. we were in partnership with VSB and yeah. VSB called in February and they were like, I don't think we're going to be able to come from California. Mm. And I said, OK, Maryland doesn't seem so bad. So we're going to keep it on still mm -hmm. for now. Mm -hmm. And then three weeks ago, I realized there's no way you can have 200 people in this office, no. right. not with a state of emergency. And that's going to get people infected. And yeah. so we had to decide, do we cancel this program or do we postpone the program? But then you have all these patients calling and saying, what's going to happen? Yeah. When are we going to do this? And I realized, you know what, let's postpone it. So we postponed it to September, our, the third week in September. I think it's the 25th and 26th for now. Mm -hmm. And VSB luckily signed up to still return. Nice. And this is all based on the fact that I hope everything is going to be fine. But I think that in view of the COVID and in view of the fact that from a public health perspective, there could be a second round of infections coming up. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to space things out and space people out so that right. people are not crowded. And we're, I guess we're going to have to plead with the public to, when it's your turn, come in. Like, mm -hmm. because sometimes it does get really crowded. Right. This pandemic uh, and the and the closures are, you know, maybe not surprisingly, are, are hitting people who who need the help um, very hard. Uh, you know, the idea that that the, the the folks in Nigeria have to wait for for your annual visit, um, and not just not just from the Mezu Foundation, but you know, all, all the outreach is, is being postponed. All the, uh, all the trips, I would think internationally are, are on hold. Yes. Um, everything is on hold. Right. That the outreach that is being done by, by community doctors, uh, and even the community health clinics. I mean, this is just, it's, it's just a tough time for, for patients from a, 
with your with your public health hat on you know is is what do you what do you think of that I think it's really sad because a lot of people are suffering. A lot of people may not get that needed health care or those free medications and services that they urgently need. Mm-hmm. But one thing our foundation has done in Nigeria, because we still have to function regardless of the pandemic. I know in Nigeria, they have been making our sanitizers. Um, they have been making, they have tailors who are making masks which are being given out to people are uh, for free. Great. They have been making our disinfectants and having to educate people on the need for social distancing. Right. But it's really tough. And the reason I say that is the average Nigerian family on the lower end of the socioeconomic status probably makes about $50 a week. And so with a state of emergency in Nigeria also, and you tell people that they have to stay home, how do they eat? How do they feed? So one of the things that my parents who are unfortunately because of this pandemic stuck in Nigeria, their flight was for April the 11th, Mm. but that had to be canceled because we probably felt it was safer for them staying back versus taking a flight and going through Europe to come back here, which is the peak of the epidemic. Right. What my mom was able to do was to purchase our regular things such as like rice, tomatoes in cans. And she bought hundreds of bags, which they were able to share out to the people who would have benefited from our medical mission. And they give those out free. So it's like a food kitchen. So to me, I think that's something that, people should do here in Baltimore also because while we may be home some people are not able to buy groceries some people don't have any money it's not enough to stay home but how do you pay your bills right how do you get your unemployment how do you pay your mortgage how do you pay your rent and even as a physician that's going to affect us as eye doctors because our patients may not be able to afford the services that we are offering yeah. So that's that's something for every doctor to kind of think about. All right. So if you can't provide eye care, you can figure out what you what you can <laughs> provide. <laughs> provide. Yes, yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. Now, our office has also signed up with Eye Care Life. Yes. So we're 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 providing telehealth services and for our our existing patient base, if they just need a follow-up that they needed to have done or dry eye, we are actually providing those free if they don't have insurance. And I think we've kind of updated our website for that. I believe that we should have that running on our Facebook page so that the patients can download the app and get appointments to see the doctor. And that helps people not have to come in and get exposed to other people if they don't have to. Right. Right. Because it's going to take a little while to, uh, and, and we don't even know what, what it's going to look like in, in six months, what, what a daily schedule is, is going to be. But it's probably not going to be like it was in January 2020. No, I think it's going to be different. If the AOA has canceled the annual meeting, yeah. and that has never happened before, I think it's going to be interesting. Because yeah. even for us, for the first time, we had our board meeting because I'm a member of the board of our examiners in optometry in Maryland. Right. Um, we had a board meeting on zoom. Mm-hmm. So it's a new normal for everyone. So all of this juggling 
um, with the schedules, with, with the foundation work, with having your parents out of the country and, and obviously being concerned about them, your own daughter and your family, keeping your, your own family safe. This is a, um, a stressful time for doctors. Yes, it is. It's a, it's a stressful time for everyone, but what are you, what are you doing to kind of stay grounded? A whole lot. So (laughs) I actually, a whole lot. Um, I think most of it is everyone's scared. Because for me personally, when I go home, we have this routine that my husband and I do when we get home. We open the garage. I call my daughter and she sticks out like a, it's like a little disinfectant spray. Okay. And so I take off my PPE Uh uh, and then I take off the head covering and my shoes and the gloves and then you spray the whole outfit and take it off in the garage. Okay. And then when you come into the house, you wash your hands and you go take a shower. Right. Even at that, I still do not hug my daughter until probably hours later. (sighs) Because you don't want to bring that infection into the house because she's not going out. We're the ones going out and being right. in contact with people every day. Yeah. We're, we try to minimize like going out in terms of going to the grocery store because we kind of stocked up a lot of okay. food and water because I wanted to be sure that we were not going out to get ourselves exposed. Mm-hmm. But here is my advice. See, I am a very vivacious person. And so I have a huge family support. Mm-hmm. And so we FaceTime and talk to my siblings. You know, people have one or two. I have nine. <laughs> so it's a lot of people that you talk to to find out how they're doing. The kids talk to each other on FaceTime. In times like this, this is when you find your inner strength. Mm-hmm. And growing up, my mom always said, when you have pandemics or you have trials and tribulations like this, Mm-hmm. you take a pen or you take your computer and you write. So this is a time for you to explore what you can do differently to keep yourself busy and grounded. So for me, I do a lot of writing. I write my thoughts. I write how I feel. And I've encouraged my daughter to do that. We also found that praying a lot helps. And I think in a way it brought my family closer together because now in my nuclear family unit with my husband, we are actually praying every night. And that's something we were so busy with our horrible schedules that we really never had time to do except on Sundays. Mm -hmm. And then I've also tried to encourage skills like learning new things. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was being a little bit more technologically active, learning things and having my brothers who are amazing gurus in IT work with me on building up my website and right. trying to get it done and trying to get access to remote services for my staff and for myself, because that way they're doing trainings and they are also keeping busy. Yes. But I've also found a lot of time to check up on friends. That's Call nice. your friends, send them text messages, find out how they're doing. I have one or two friends who are actually diagnosed with COVID and um, I check on them and praying that they get through it and they recover fully and nothing happens to them. But I think the way to succeed is to keep yourself busy. You either learn a new skill, you write your thoughts, you might actually find the inner, inner uh, poet in you. <laughs> And do Zoom exercises. Just do something fun. Do something different. What you don't want to do is to stay home and be by yourself because then you can get really depressed. 
it's overwhelming. It's a lot. Yeah, it is. It is. And we're slowly uh, beginning perhaps to see the, the light at the end of the tunnel, but we're still not quite sure what that landscape is going to look like when we, when we get there. I think it's going to be very different, not just for optometrists, but for everybody. But I think that if there is anyone that's worse off in this whole situation, I think it's the private care practices. There's so many applications and so many things to do in terms of government aid. And believe me, we apply for every single one of them. Mm-hmm. But it's taken a while. And I am just so scared that a lot of practices may not make it. Because right. then if you've let go of your staff or if you've had them furloughed, then what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. What happens when we open back up maybe May or June and you're not having that steady income? I mean, you cannot right. pack patients four or five patients an hour. You can no longer do that because it's not safe for the patients and it's not safe for you as an eye doctor. Right. And some of the patients are hurting. I mean, some of the patients are financially, you know, may have lost their jobs and and this may be their their priority to to get back in and see you. Right. So So I think this is a time for a lot of, I would say, insurance companies in healthcare Mm -hmm. to figure a way that even if these patients cannot afford their premiums or stuff to do some kind of deferring for them so that they're still able to have insurance mm-hmm. that can pay for services such as healthcare, eye care, and the things that they need. Thank you so much for being part of this, uh, this WO Voices. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much, and it's a pleasure. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again next time on WO Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. You can email us at wovoicesonline at gmail.com or via our website, womeninoptometry.com, on Facebook at WO Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.